Well, again, good morning. My name is TJ. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. Um, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to end up in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. Um, so if you want to open up your Bible app or open up your Bible and kind of pull that up, um, it's probably a passage you've probably heard before. If you grew up in the church or grew up with people around the church, even if you didn't, it still may be a passage that you're familiar with. It may have some terms that you've heard before. It says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. When I hear that passage, the thing for me that it sounds like is it sounds like something that would be cross-stitched kind of over, you know, on the wall in your great aunt's utility room. You know, it's one of those passages that sounds a little just a little too nice. It just sounds a little too perfect, a little too comforting. You know, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. But the truth is none of us really feel that way in our culture right now. You know, we, 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 we are such a busy culture and a busy obsessed culture that it's hard to do that. I was telling Chad this morning, we went out of town uh, for almost 10 days, uh, went to Kentucky with our family, um, took my kids out there, got to go visit, uh, drive around. It was a great time for us. Um, I think I shared with you, uh, we were kind of driving around. I'm showing my kids my hometown, um, which is really depressing. Um, if you haven't gone, if you grew up in a tiny town and then you go back and visit, um, you're kind of shocked at how tiny the town is. Even the streets are smaller than I remember them being. Um, and we're driving around, and I'm showing the kids around, I'm showing the kids, here's my grandfather's grave, and we went and took a picture with it, uh, kind of showing them, here's the house I grew up in, here's the high school that I went to, and then finally I said, all right, well, we got to get on the road, we got to head out of here, and back to, to my parents' house over in Ashland, which is about 20 minutes away, and my daughter looks uh, from the back seat, goes, good, we can finally get out from underneath this crushing nostalgia. <laughs> and she's not wrong, she's not wrong. Um, because I am a sentimental person. But that whole trip, that whole rush for us to get there, to get back, um, has been terrible for me. I've been so busy coming back in a way that it just feels really uncomfortable. I told Chad this morning that I feel like I'm just starting to get caught up from being gone uh, for 10 days. Been two, we've been back for two weeks, and I'm just now feeling like I'm finally getting my to-do list back caught up um, because it's overwhelming to take time off, and some of you have experienced that. I actually heard some people talk about, hey, we don't call it a vacation when we take our kids. That's a, that's a family trip. Um, and then I hear some people even talk about, hey, we have our family trip, so we kind of do a family trip each year, and then me and my wife take a vacation each year to make sure and kind of set that time aside for us. And all I can think when I hear that is, must be nice. That's what rich people do. You get, you have a vacation, and then you take a vacation to recover from your vacation. That sounds great. Um, because I just cannot imagine a world in which we could take that much time off. I don't know about you, but for me, the summer feels busy. Um, even when it's kind of low-key, it feels busy. It feels like we're rushed. Um, it feels like we're moving from thing to thing to thing. And the truth is, I didn't want to talk about this this morning. Um, when we first talked about it in the spring, and uh, David and I sat at a restaurant, and we were running through the text uh, that we were looking at and kind of laying out, here's what the summer's going to look like. And kind of, we knew Chad was expecting his grand, the grandbaby uh, here, and so we kind of wanted to make sure that he didn't have to rush back into the pulpit, that they had plenty of time uh, to do that. And so we kind of outlined this, and I was like, oh, man, I'll talk about this. This is great. I know I've read a bunch of books on Sabbath. I've read a bunch of books on rest. But that was back in, like, March. And... 
the TJ that had time in March to do this is gone. He's, he doesn't have the time anymore. I'm barely keeping up with things. I've been terrible about responding to people because I'm just overwhelmed. I feel like I'm rushing from thing to thing to thing, uh, from appointment to appointment to appointment. I maybe even was looking at my calendar on Friday for next week, and I began to get anxious about all the different things we have to do. We have appointments for me, for the kids. We've got back-to-school stuff, so we're trying to get into the dentist. We're trying to make sure we've got clothing. We're trying to make sure we're there. I've got to take one of the kids to the orthodontist next week because the retainer doesn't quite fit anymore and so we got to go get a new retainer because they keep growing and they keep getting new teeth and so it's all of these things and none of it's bad none of it's wrong none of it's sinful but it's just a lot it's just a lot it just feels like a lot and it's hard and so as I was looking at this and looking at the text I became so I felt so guilty that I'm like I am not resting well I'm not sabbathing well how can I talk about this? And I realized it doesn't actually, I don't come here and get to share. Chad doesn't come and get to share. Nobody preaches because they're an expert in that topic. But instead, we get to share and preach what God's word has to say. And so this morning, that's really what I want to do is to spend a little bit of time looking at God's word because we live in a culture that loves to be busy. We live in a culture that loves to be busy. You love to be busy. You love feeling busy anxious. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to say, no, I don't. I work really hard to make sure I'm not too busy. I'm going to tell you, you're lying. You're lying to yourself and you're lying to me. The reason I know this is true is because companies have started rolling out unlimited PTO, unlimited paid time off, so that you don't accrue it. You don't have to earn it. It just shows up. You don't have to negotiate it as a part of your contract. You can just have as much time off as you want. And, you know, we hear that and you're like, how could a company make that work? Like, how could they do unlimited time off? Like, how would that even functionally work? Do you just, you just, I'm going to take a paycheck and then I'm just never going to show up? Like, what does, that, what does that mean? How does that work? And those studies have been remarkable. Unlimited paid time off. Do you know what happens? People take less time off. People take less time off when they have unlimited time off. Which is crazy. I looked it up. I was trying to see, why is that? Why is that the case? And when I Google paid time off, you know, you can see this list of questions that pops up on Google. Is it a good thing? Should I do that? Is it a scam? That was one of the questions. My favorite one, how many days off is, does unlimited paid time off mean? That was my favorite Google question. So, I know you said unlimited, but what a, like, like what's, the, what's the real number? Like, I want to know the real number. Because we, we live in a culture that feels this pressure, that we rush from thing to thing to thing, because we want to make sure that it's meaningful. We want to make sure that things are there. And the truth is, it's not healthy for us, and we know it's not healthy for us. We know that it's not healthy for us to be this busy. It's bad for our health outcomes. There is no study that shows that long-term work, overworking, you know, working excessive hours is good for you. It just doesn't exist. It impacts your health. It impacts your longevity. People who work consistently 11-hour days actually have higher risks of heart disease and other long-term chronic illnesses. And yet, and yet we know that. And you know who's the worst at that? People in medicine. <laughs> People in medicine are the worst at that. They tend to work huge numbers of hours, huge days, because they're so committed to the cause. And some of us are saying, well, how do you handle this then? How do we know? We know it's bad for our health. We know it's bad for our relationships. 
You know, people tell you over and over again, you want to have a strong marriage, you want to have a strong relationship with your kids, make sure and be intentional, take time off. And we're like, yeah, yeah, but what's the, what's the real secret? What do we really need to do? Because we want to rush through things. We even can hear that taking time off makes us more productive. That taking time off makes us more productive. And yet we're, and our response is, mm, does it really though? Does it really though? It doesn't matter who says it. It doesn't matter if Harvard Business Review comes out with a long-term study, which they have, that shows that a four-day work week is just as productive as a five-day work week for most companies. We just can't stomach it. The thought of not being busy, of not being rushed, for us, really is a problem. And it seeps down into our core. And part of it is because we live in a culture in which we understand that work is important. I mean, it is important. It's how we pay our bills. The reason I work, I always joke, it's something I heard from Andy Stanley one time. The reason I work is because I want my wife uh, and kids to be able to live indoors and eat food. So that's why I go to work. That's why I do what I do. But it never really stops there, does it? We end up getting our identity from our jobs. We, we, it's, a, it's the first question we ask people when we're, in, we're meeting new people for the first time. We introduce them, hi, my name's TJ. Oh, nice to meet you, Dan. What do you do for a living? It's the first question we ask. It's like the only thing we want to know. What do you do for a living? Because it's part of how we identify ourselves. Sometimes we even will hear that and we try to make our jobs sound more interesting, sound more exciting, so we add some extra titles to it or adjectives to it just to make it sound a little bit better because our job is that important to us. Um, you can go to any, you know that's true too, because if you go to any small regional bank, every person you meet is a vice president. Um, and so you end up with a situation in which people are so desperate for work. And the Bible has a lot to say about work. It's not that work isn't important, but the Bible has something even more fundamental to say about rest. I want to tell you that the Bible is so important on this particular topic that the reason our weeks are structured the way they are is because of Scripture. No other religion that is not an Abrahamic religion, so Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all three have an emphasis on rest and Sabbath that is unique to those religions. It doesn't exist anywhere else. You go to animistic religions, to tribal religions, you go to Buddhism, to Hindu, that is not a fundamental part of those religions. To have a day of rest, to have a Sabbath, to have a pause baked into your week. Because it doesn't really make sense. Can you imagine looking at your life, looking around at the world and be like, you know, I just want to be a seventh less effective. I just want to take one whole day and not do anything. I'm going to take a break here. And yet it's what we see in Scripture. We see it baked in from the beginning. In Exodus chapter 20, this is after God's people have fled Egypt. They've been freed uh, from slavery, and Moses comes and gives the law uh, to the people. He says this uh, in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We see that the Sabbath is a fundamental part of creation. 
It's part of God's design for everything. That we would pause. That we would take a day of rest. It tells us a couple things. One of the things it tells us is that the, the reason for the Sabbath is to point, is that God is the point of our lives. That all that we do should point to him and point to who he is. That it's not us, it's not our accomplishments, but rather who God is. So it points that God is the point of our lives, but it also points that God is the provider. I think it's one of the most interesting things. You know, we feel busy and rushed. But can you imagine living in the ancient world? One of my pet peeves when we think about ancient peoples is we tend to think about them and we see them as primitive. Like they're, oh, they're, look how little they knew. Look how little they are. They, are. they are you and me. They are exactly like us. Their intellects are the same. There's some stupid people. There's some smart people. There's some regular people like the rest of us. They're just normal people. But they didn't have any of the stuff that we have, the things that can make life easier. Can you imagine having to grind? You want, you want, a, you want a sandwich? having to grind the grain to make the bread, to bake it by hand, the time that it would take, the energy that it would take. And that's how every day was. Every day took that much work to make sure that they had enough to eat, enough to take care of themselves. They had to farm and to grow things. They practiced commerce and trade with people. Some people slowly began to not farm because they could trade and sell. They were the people who began to be vendors in the market. You had all of this happening and yet God says, hey, I know you want to live and eat, but one day a week, I want you to stop all that. One day a week, I want you to take a rest. And it's this reminder that God is our provider, that he is there to take care of us. And then lastly, it's a reminder that God is a savior of our lives, that he is the one that puts all the pieces together. We see this even more fundamentally when they revisit the law so you have the book of Exodus, which is kind of the story of God's people fleeing Egypt. And then you have the Deuteronomy, which is kind of the retelling. It's the second book. It's the retelling of the law. And in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 5, starting in verse 12, it says this. It says, it's the same statement. It says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. Neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your ox or donkey or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. And then it offers up a different explanation as to why. It says this, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, that your Lord your God brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. It's this call to rest, that you're not slaves anymore. You don't have to work every day, but it's a call to pause and to rest. And it's so hard for those of us who live in a society in which productivity and busyness are an important part of our own identity. They're an important part of how we see ourselves. And it's so hard for us to find the space and the bandwidth to pause and to rest, and to connect. And yet this is what Jesus means when he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Some of us feel like we're pulling this huge weight behind us, day in and day out, this huge amount of responsibility. 
You've probably experienced the same thing that I've experienced. When life gets busier and the responsibilities feel overwhelming, what is one of the first things that goes? One, my patience, so that disappears pretty quick. And two, my ability to sleep well. It just is gone. I had a night this week where I was just not sleeping. Uh, about every hour I kept waking up, thinking about things that needed to be done. Um, I keep emailing myself. I wake up and think about it, and I want to get it out of my head so I don't have to worry about it. So I email myself, and I wake up the next morning, and there's seven emails waiting for me all throughout the night. And my wife's like, well, why, why, just, just, why aren't you sleeping? Why are you waking up every hour? What are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. She goes, you need to quit pretending like the weight of everything is on your shoulders. And my initial response was like, well, it is though, babe. <laughs> the whole world depends on me. I didn't realize that sounds so silly to say it out loud. But so I'm like, okay, well, I mean, but what about all these things? Like, what about all the, and they're real concerns. It's not made up. It's not like I'm imagining that these are responsibilities. It's not like I'm imagining that there's these open commitments that are pressing on me. But they can't define me. And at the end of the day, there has to be a place in which we say, hey, it's okay that that doesn't get done. And if you're like me, it's okay that that doesn't get done is a hard thing to say. It's a hard thing to say. And yet Jesus says, those who are weary and burdened, come to him and he will give you rest. And that's such a peculiar phrase. My yoke upon you, or take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart. He says this, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not a call to not do anything. I think that's the challenge for us when we think of rest. We think of ourselves as somebody who's just sitting around and waiting. We're sitting around and resting. I'm not doing anything. Doesn't that sound great? For most of us, it doesn't. We don't want to sit around and do nothing. We want to sit around and do something. There are a few things that feel worse than when you sit around and watch Netflix all day. You don't get up, you don't go outside, you don't do anything, you don't accomplish anything. It feels terrible. It doesn't feel restful. You don't walk away from that day feeling better. You walk away from that day feeling exhausted, feeling frustrated, feeling disappointed. And all the things you were trying to hide from, all the things you were trying to put off, feel that much bigger when you come back. Instead, this is just this call Jesus has to step into this work that's his work. That a yoke is something that an oxen would wear to do work. This isn't a pass. This isn't, hey, look at the oxen's just eating great grass, hanging out. It's one of those Wagyu cows. It's drinking oats soaked in beer and getting daily massages. It's just going to be great until it's, until one day it's not, and then you're a steak. Um, you know, that's not what the call for rest is. It's a call for good work, for work that fills our spirits, that fills our lives, and ultimately for work that recognizes who Jesus is. There's a couple of really influential Christian authors. Um, a gentleman by the name of John Ortberg was a pastor for a lot of years and has written a number of really, really influential books. Um, he was actually mentored by this gentleman named Dallas Willard. Um, and Dallas Willard is this giant of the faith. He's since passed away, um, but this giant of the faith when it comes to spiritual formation and how to live a spiritually disciplined and whole life, um, how to make sure that everything we do belongs to God. And uh, 
Dallas Willard had spent time mentoring and was a friend for John Ortberg for years. And John Ortberg had gotten hired at this great big church, uh, one of the most influential churches in the country. And he's feeling all of this pressure to step into this new role and to speak and to write and to pastor and to lead uh, the church, not just there locally, but really the church globally. And he can feel all of this. And so he's writing about this in his book, The Life You Always Wanted, that he called Dallas. And he said, hey, Dallas, um, do you have a few minutes to talk? You know, I've stepped into this new role, into this new responsibility, and I've only been here a little bit, and I can feel the weight of everything. What do you recommend? What's, what's the most important things for me to do to make sure and stay spiritually healthy? And he says, after a long pause, Dallas Willard said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John's like, ah, oh, that's good. That's a, that's a nugget right there. That's really good. He writes it down. He said, all right, so what, what else? And Dallas said, no, no, that's it. That's the only one. That's the only one. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life because hurry hampers our ability to live. Hurry hampers our living. It hampers our ability to love, to listen, to engage well, to even sit with our own thoughts sometimes. When we hurry, when we rush from thing to thing, when our need to feel significant, when our need to bolster our identity is what's driving us, the things that are most important begin to take a back seat. The things that are the most important are the beginning to take a back seat. And sometimes it's hard to do this. There was a season in our lives um, as a family that I would have to stop on the way home from work my brother and I would talk about it. I'd get up and leave early. Uh, usually I'm, I'm generally, at least I used to be a morning person. Um, as I get older, it disappears on me, it seems like. Um, but I used to be a morning person, so I'd get up at, you know, four or five in the morning, and I'd go to work about six, and I would be there. Um, and I could feel like, because for me, as somebody who's with ADHD, if I could work from six to ten, nobody calls you at six in the morning, uh, no matter what. Nobody calls you. And so from 6 to 10, if I could just get that window, I could get everything done I needed to get done in a day. And then I had all the time in the world to meet and to talk and to visit. And so I'd get up early. But when I came home, I was exhausted. It was a long day. It was a busy day. And I had three tiny humans waiting for my attention. And often, my wife, who was working part-time at the time, was absolutely ready to be done with it. You know that experience if you've been a stay-at-home parent or um, the parent, primary parent who's been with the kids during that time, and she was so ready to be done with them. And so I would stop on the way home, and I would have a small Red Bull, not a big one, but a small Red Bull, and I'd mentally prepare. I'd pray so that when I walked in the door, I could show up and be dad. I could show up and be present. I could show up and listen. And it made such a difference for such a long time. And the truth is, it's one of those things that I don't do anymore. My kids are older. It's less stressful sometimes with them. Um, they, they now help around the house, which is just a remarkable thing. We were talking about that this morning. One of the problems with babies is they don't do anything. They just take. It's just real selfish, those babies. Um, and eventually your kids get to the point where they help and they participate and they grow and the family grows and you get bigger and we're all pulling together trying to accomplish things. But life just keeps adding things to you. And if you don't pause, if you don't listen, you can miss those big things. So I've got a couple of tips for you on how to handle Sabbath well. Um, it's a fundamental part of who we are. And so if you're not taking, a day, if you're not taking rests, um, these are things to start down and to begin to incorporate. If you feel frazzled, if you feel exhausted, and not just that exhausted of like, oh man, 
I didn't sleep well last night. I had a kiddo who was sick. They were throwing up. We were up all night. It was terrible. Not just that exhausted of like, oh, man, there was something weird in my neighborhood, you know, car wreck. I woke up. I couldn't go back to bed. You know, not that kind of tired, but the kind of tired where I slept for six, seven hours, and I'm still exhausted. I'm weary in my soul. That kind of tired. I've got three things you can begin to incorporate. One is, is, is a daily Sabbath. Begin to find a place for a daily Sabbath. Um, and what I mean by that is just is finding ways to pause into your day. For some of you, you're a morning person. You wake up and your first thought is, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And for some of you, those people are nut jobs. Just can't imagine what kind of person wakes up ready to face the day. And so it kind of depends on your own rhythms and your own life, but finding time to pause, to spend time in God's word. Uh, to spend time with the scripture. And there's a ton of ways you can do that. One of my favorite ways is to open up uh, the Bible app. So I'll use the YouVersion app or I'll use an app called Streetlights that have audio Bibles connected to them. Um, they are just phenomenal for me to be able to listen uh, to scripture instead of just uh, he, uh, reading it. As somebody who's dyslexic, listening to somebody else read scripture um, is just a really profound way to engage with it. Um, just find the time to pause, to spend some time with God. One of the other ways you can make this space in your schedule is just to make some time uh, for, for you, to make sure that you have time for lunch, to make sure that you have time for rest. Um, one of the things that we talk about all the time with some of the great heroes of, of, um, in our culture, we talk about Winston Churchill, we talk about, uh, Al, uh, we talk about Einstein, we talk about Thomas Edison, these giants. Uh, one of the things we rarely talk about is the fact that all three of those men took naps consistently as a part of their life. Um, Thomas Edison was a notorious napper. Uh, Churchill would spend, uh, sometimes wouldn't get out of bed until 8 or 9 in the morning, uh, would go to bed early, would often take naps during the day, would take time out of his day to paint, um, because when the pressure is on, it's also the time that you need to pause the most. And so how can you incorporate a daily Sabbath into your life? Um, I'd add to that sleeping well is a fundamental part of that. It is part of how we honor God uh, to rest well. But I also think a weekly Sabbath is a huge part of what we're called to do. This place to pause and to wait and to listen. Again, this was a fundamental part of, of Jesus' life growing up, was a Sabbath. And when we think of Sabbath, sometimes we think of it, oh, like, oh they went to church. That's what, that's what they did. They went to church. It was so much bigger than that. They didn't just go to church. They didn't just gather together with God's people. Although that, again, is a peculiarity of our particular faith tradition. But they would take an entire day to pause and to connect, to connect with each other, to connect with their neighbors, to connect with their family, um, but to pause and to rest well. And it should be a fundamental part of your life that you find a way to carve out some time. Um, one of my favorite things, just as an adage on this, is uh, from a man named uh, uh, Abraham Heschel, so Rabbi Heschel, wrote a book on Sabbath. And one of the things he talks about in that book is if you're somebody who works with your hands, that you should Sabbath with your mind. So if you're somebody who works with your hands, you should Sabbath with your mind. And if you're somebody who works with your mind, you should Sabbath with your hands. And so for some of us, yard work is one of the most refreshing things we can do. You enjoy it and you love it, and I think you're absolutely out of your gourd. I spent two hours in the yard yesterday, hated every minute of it. None of it was fun. Um, my sunburn today reminds me of how much I hated it. And yet, it's an important part. I actually feel better having done it. 
because I don't necessarily get to move my hands and do things on a regular basis. I think and talk and write and click and click and then call people and then click and click. And that's what I do day in and day out. And so pausing and finding ways to rest with my hands is an important thing. For some of you, that may be something you have to figure out for yourself. But finding ways to pause weekly. And then lastly, I think it's important to find a way to take time off yearly. uh, To make it a, a priority. To find ways to unplug. To take time off. If your job, if you are so important to your job that you can't take time off, you are doing yourself and your job a disservice. Nobody, nobody is so important that they don't need to take rest. Nobody is so critical to the role of a company that they can't take rest. And you might think to yourself, well, listen, listen, I, I mean, I know not everybody, but I am that important. I'm the exception to that. You don't know what I do. I am, insert whatever important thing you have. And I'm sure that your senior leadership at your job would say, yeah, absolutely, don't take time off, please. We'll give you unlimited PTO. Just don't use any of it. That would be great. We'd appreciate it. But you need to find time to pause, to rest, and to rest well. I don't know what this looks like for you. I don't know what this looks like for us. I'll be honest, this was one of those things that as I was even leaning into this, I was wrestling with what does this look like. Um, What you can't see the entire time is my wife both making faces at me like, you better hear this. You better be listening to yourself. Preacher's talking to you. And her rolling her eyes like, wow, that doesn't apply to me. Because this is something we struggle with as a family right now. We just walked through a real busy season with my wife finishing up nursing school. Um, She'd gone back to get her uh, bachelor's again, um, which is something we've been putting off for a long time. Um, And we finally kind of accomplished that. So she's got two bachelors now. So she's a double bachelor, I guess. I don't know what the title is there. Um, But it was a huge accomplishment for us. I was like, finally, we're going to slow down. And, And it hasn't. It hasn't paused. It hasn't slowed down. It's just sped up. And so I don't know what it looks like for us, but we're going to pause and take some time as a family and talk about how we can pace ourselves out, how we're going to take some breaks this fall, how we're going to make that work uh, for us. I mean, I just I encourage you to make it a priority. If you're somebody that doesn't necessarily have somebody in your life uh, that you, and you, you need to talk to somebody, there's a lot of resources out there. Again, uh, the book Sabbath by Abraham Heschel is phenomenal on this topic. Uh, there's a wonderful book by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He actually took that story of John Ortberg and Dallas Willard and used it as the title for his book. Um, it's a super challenging book and has some really practical advice on how to structure Sabbath in your life well. Um, both are worth your time, and both are audiobooks, so you can totally find them um, if you're into that. So, but I just want to encourage you to build this into your schedule, build this into your rhythms, build this into your family, build this into your relationships. There's no reason that we're ignoring this part of God's Word. It's a fundamental part of us to rest well. Jesus says, come all who are weary. And I don't know about you, but that definitely describes me. Father God, I thank you so much for this community that we get to be a part of. God, would you fill our lungs with praise that you are a God who rescues and saves. How great are you that rest was one of the things you gave us. Not just a list of things to do, not just another thing for the checklist, but to rest in you. 
that even in the beginning of the world, in the foundation of creation, you paused to show us how much rest matters. Would we lean into that well as individuals, as families and friends, but God, even as a church community, that we would pause and rest? God, would you help me personally to repent of my own busyness, my own need for validation, and to know that Jesus is enough, that his invitation to come isn't just some platitude, but it's a call of salvation for me and for us. And it's in the name of our King that we pray. Amen.